Hi there, Glocal citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, and we're picking up the conversation with my guest from last week at ABC Bright. She's based in Lagos, Nigeria, and she is the CEO and first vice chairwoman of Live Well Initiative, which is a nonprofit public health NGO based in Lagos, Nigeria. Their vision is to increase life expectancy of Africans to the age of 70 by the year 2030. Listen in and let's find out how they're doing. We use our health post in Makoku as a training center. We take in interns from Harvard University, Harvard uh, T.H. Chan School of Public Health in Boston, USA. We, we send in candidates to our health post in that poor place to learn about the uh, pro-poor healthcare. And um, the Harvard candidates have mainly worked on viral hepatitis. But because we don't have a sponsor, it's a very small health and it is still there. And since COVID started, um, we've not been able to bring someone right. to Harvard. But we are hoping this year that by remote, by a remote practicum, we will get Harvard candidates to do their practicum field experience by remote practicum and we, we use multimedia to take them into the community. That is our plan for subsequent uh, Harvard interns. Mm. So our last intern from Harvard, that's the MPH intern, Masters in Public Health intern. The last intern left Nigeria at the tail end of February last year, just before COVID was announced in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. So that's all very impressive. Two things, that most of your fieldwork is done using volunteers. And so that being something that that is quite an effort, particularly in Africa, where you, you're able to find people who consistently show up. And consistently, I think it's a challenge everywhere. But how do you outreach to attract volunteers and, and incentivize them to continue to be a part of the organization? Yes, uh, that's a very interesting question. And people keep asking me, and I keep wondering, but it's it, it's come to us quite easy, but it's because people keep asking. I have always thought about it again and seen that, well, maybe it's difficult, so maybe it's something we're doing right. Mm. But we have three tiers of volunteers, three. The first tier, this structure emanated on its own from the way we work. So it's been like that from the first year, and we're still retaining it up till now. So from the first year we started, we had the inner core of volunteers, which are the people that work full-time in the office, but they still work as volunteers, but they, they take a lower stipend. So you could have um, a master's degree holder coming in from the UK or from here in Nigeria, a master's in public health holder. We've always had MPHs heading the office, and then they usually take very little stipends something like a transportation and uh, just a little allowance and they take it as their monthly allowance and they come to work every day as full-time employees. So we have that little nucleus and we keep more than, we don't keep more than um, eight to 10 people in the office at any point mm-hmm. in time. So those are the full-time employees, mm-hmm. but they are also volunteers, including myself, I'm also a volunteer mm-hmm. at CU. And then the second chair, is the, we have, there are about 35 people all together in that second chair. They are the ones that, they work full-time elsewhere, but anytime we need them, they are available. They would either take permission 
from work or exchange their duties with a colleague or somebody make themselves available. And then for most of those people in that 35 group, group of 35, their employers know that they are employed, they are volunteers, they live well. Yeah. And then we even had our head of accounts, he's now working in another institution. But when he was in his former institution, each time they released him, if they released him for two hours, they will record it as two hours of philanthropy and so on. So it depends on what the employer wants. So we, we have this chair of about 35 people that they're always available. And some of them, some of these 35 people are uh, like our gyne- gynecologists. Mm. We, hepa- we have mm-hmm. hepatologists who have volunteered and have always come in for our programs. They come in to train, they come in to see patients and so on. We even have an oncologist. We have different people. They are all in that chair of 35 people. Then the remaining 700 and whatever, are the third tier. But among those ones too, if we need them or we come to a city where they are, they will be available. Like we have volunteers even in the US. And so when we had our program, we had a, a meet and greet in New York three years ago. The, the ones that arranged that program in 20, November 2018 were the, the volunteers in New York. And they arranged their schedules to make sure that it did not clash with their work hours. You know, so that's how we work. Um, and, and so we retain the volunteers. Now, the other thing we do, which I think is what helps us to retain them, is that if we've not heard from a person for a while, we do call or send a message to find out how they do, hope they're fine, hope things are going on well with you. And then we try to keep people abreast of the programs that we're running. So even when they're not free to attend, they can see either online or through WhatsApp or different things what we're doing. And then we have little groups. For example, we have a mentoring group where we, tra- uh, we train mentees and we attach them to mentors. That's an incentive for them. The, the, but the, that one, we started it as a small mentoring group for pharmacy students and uh, linking them to pharmacists. But now we've made it concentric. So we, we have a vertical mentors that are either in the same profession or a similar profession and we are linking people across boards to mentors. So then we also have uh, uh, the nurses group. We linked, we formed the nurses group during the COVID so that those who wanted to volunteer to work in isolation centers could get into that group. And some of them went in and had interviews with the uh, government and other groups running isolation centers at the beginning of COVID. And we retained that group after that um, because we also did IPC training for them. So we retained them. So that group still remains on WhatsApp. And then we also have um, another group of uh, the research, clinical research Mm -hmm. team, which is Mm -hmm. still ongoing. So we have a few WhatsApp groups like that. So people have uh, differentiated teams, little mini teams, that they belong to within the Live Well Initiative. Apart from that, uh, the organization itself, we, we are properly organized. We have our SOP standard operating procedures for everything we do. So if we're going to run a laboratory test uh, using a rapid diagnostic test kit for hepatitis, we have a procedure. So irrespective of whether we are running the test in Lagos, Kano, or Badon, or Katsina, the test is run in the same way 
we have our uniforms, so we deploy teams um, all over the country, and the, the teams run a uniform program because we have standard operating procedures. So I think all those uniform things make people feel a sense of belonging mm. mm-hmm. uh, to the organization. And then, like I told you, at the end of every year, we run um, a year-end event. It used to be quite lavish, even though we are a non-profit. That was the only lavish thing we had. Our chairman used to take us to a, um, a restaurant. Um, it used to be a Thai or Chinese restaurant, and everybody would have a meal, and you are you're wearing your Christmas cap and doing balloons here and there, and a lot of uh, fun. You know, we used to do that, but when the um, times became more austere, our chairman couldn't afford that party for us anymore, and we couldn't afford that from our first. So we had to tone it down seriously. Uh, but we still do incentivize people by giving the awards. And so uh, at the year-end event will take place inside our office, and we will still give awards to the most innovative, the most punctual, and so on and so forth. And just the sense of family brings people together. And then a lot of our volunteers will tell you they feel a sense of humanitarianism, and that keeps them in the organization. Because mm-hmm. we have several programs. We have our home care program where we go to people's homes once a month to visit them, give them their medication. This, some of these people are people we meet out there in the field when we go out for outreaches, community health outreaches, and they don't have, they don't have any health package, no health insurance, no hospital, no. So we take them on. But some of them have their health insurance, they have their physicians, they have everything, but they, want, they use us as their second opinion team. So we go there, or we just go there to check that they're taking their medication, we check their vital signs and so on. So we have a health team that visits once a month. A, a team is deployed to the island, a team to the mainland, and the mm-hmm. people. And then we also run full home care services, home health care, where we have enough fully deployed to live in with the clients, and they pay for that. So we have different services we run, and that really incentivizes a lot of uh, people. So you find that when people join Live Well initiatives, whether they are physicians or nurses or pharmacists or public health practitioners or whatever, they are even social scientists join us. They all find that there's something new they can learn mm. in Live Well. So they, that kind of incentivizes them. We've grown to, we're over 800. We've been over 800 now for two years, and we have not really taken taken in new members, except for one or two that walked into our office during this, this COVID, and, you know, they really, really wanted to join, and we didn't want to turn them away. Mm-hmm. But we've not really been taking in new <laughs> applicants because we felt we didn't want to grow out of proportion that we would lose our value. Mm-hmm. So, but from the tail end of this year, we will start taking in new volunteers again. But we do have quite an overwhelming number of people who do want to join us. Uh, but we don't have sponsors. And because we don't have sponsors, we don't want to grow to a size that will not be. Right, I can imagine. Yes, we don't really have sponsors. Like um, the, the health post in Makoko, it's a, it's a riverine, poor, very, very poor area. We give them free health there. And um, the, there's nobody that is ready to expand the place for us. You know, poor people don't really have food that sponsor them. 
Because even corporates, when they yes. want to sponsor, they want the whole world to see right. it and they want to have some value in it. So maybe the mm-hmm. people are too poor, there's mm-hmm. no value in it for them. I don't know. So we, yeah. but we, we, we keep going on with the services and the right, people right. keep praying for us every day. <laughs> and then we use it as a training ground for our new volunteers. They're always very happy. They feel blessed when they go there and they're able to touch a life. To deworm a poor child mm-hmm. and so on, you know, to see the pregnant women. And they, they, they have a lot of babies in that place. We offer family planning services, but they, they are not men. The men don't want them to do family planning. So the, usually when we're doing family planning, the, the spouse has to come there. The, the woman may come in quietly and say she wants to do family planning. But the next day, the husband may come and say, what did you give my wife? So to avoid conflict with the community, we usually allow the men to come in. And then we advise, we, you know, we admonish and counsel them and convince them. Mm-hmm. You know, we do a lot of advocacy with the men to convince them that this is for your own good, it's for your good your wife will still have many babies for you don't worry mm-hmm. about that but you can space the babies and so the men usually end up agree right right so that's the big part of, part of the education mm-hmm. yes where they don't agree we give them a temporary family planning method yes. mm-hmm. so i can fully understand that you don't want to and can't grow and scale just so quickly but you have this goal of raising life expectancy to 70 for Africans. So how do you see yourself expanding in neighboring countries? I know you've done some work in, in Ghana. And how do you see yourself funding that? So one thing that I, I'm happy to have you on is that hopefully our listeners will hear and, and there are people who have resources that can be, particularly, it sounds like it's financial resources. You have the manpower, you have the people, you have the programs. And so your scaling, it sounds like, really is dependent upon, as you mentioned, sponsorship, some kind of fiscal support beyond um, donor support, or in addition to that will help you move. So what's your vision? How do you see Live Well expanding in the Pan-African sense? Yes, thank you so much. You, You really got it exactly the way it is. We actually said that by 2017, you know, we launched in 2007, but we, we started working in 2006, but we launched officially in 2007, uh, launched by the then Lagos State Governor, because we, we wanted everyone to see that government has endorsed this organization. We are not running an illegal thing here. You know, so we invited the governor and he sent the Honorable Commissioner of Health to launch the organization. So we started off on the right foot. And uh, we said it in that year, 2007, that by the time we were 10 years old, we wanted to go global. And so that was why in 2017, which was 10, when we were 10 years old, in, in 2017, we decided that have a rep in Ghana and in Kenya, which we succeeded in doing. We had we had volunteers in Ghana all along, but we did not have a country rep. But now we have a country rep in, in Ghana. Um, she's a very <laughs> prominent woman. I'm not sure if she really has time for us, but she's, she's happy to be part of us. But I'm talking of having time to do advocacy for us. Uh, because she was a, an honorable minister okay. uh, under the past regime in Ghana. So she's very busy, but we are trying to pull off something good in Ghana. Yes. And then um, in Kenya, we have uh, the dean of the Arab Moy uh, Public Health 
faculty in the University of Arapmoy in Kenya is, uh, is our Kenya rep. And, uh, but because we don't even have funding or nothing at all, it's been difficult activating those um, offices, but we have country reps there. And then we did our meet and greet in New York in 2018. So in line with our globalization agenda, we are following it, but we, we have not been able to go as far as we wanted because of lack of uh, funding and lack of infrastructure. Like you said, we have the human capital. We are very rich in that. We are very rich in human capital. We have a lot of um, intellectual capital. And uh, we do have um, our office is going on well. We pay our rent regularly. We have our head office located in Victoria Island, Lagos. We have our operational office in Sagada. And then we have uh, the health posts that we run in the low income. A proper environment. But the only thing that we lack is that we need partners that can help us to build up infrastructure. I don't know how we are going to procure that. It is the infrastructural capital that we lack now. Because we have enough human capital to run all the programs we want to run. And our programs are running, but they're running at a low pace now mm. because of lack of uh, facilities. For example, if we had um, an expansion of the, the Makoko health post into a two-room or three-room clinic, we'd be able to start doing maternity. And we have enough nurses to do the rosters. We have enough physicians. We have public health physicians. We have gynae doctors. We have hepatologists if we wanted to start running the liver clinic, but there's no space. So we need infrastructure capital and we need uh, equipment. And of course, uh, if we're able to get that, I'm sure if we told people to pay a little, they would pay a little and we'd be able to recycle that and, and run the place. I believe very much so because um, our people are really dedicated to us. All the physicians we have, they don't, they don't take an income and they run the service. They, they, they're dedicated. Mm-hmm. So, so thinking more, more globally about health policy in that sense. So, so it seems like Across the board, we probably have, particularly in the way that you were able to assemble so many volunteers, like so just industry-wide, we have potential, fa- we have failure, facility failure in many municipalities, many cities, many towns in Africa. And so this hybrid model of you, I guess it's public-private partnership to a, a large degree because you you are there, you're ready. What are some yeah. of the levers that you think will, will assist in in more broadly implementing? Because I think one thing that you're doing that's wonderful is your, your data. So the, the, the COVID-19 protocol you discussed, that sounds awesome. That sounds like something that absolutely can be implemented across yeah. the country, you know, particularly in the absence of, you know, this mass vaccine that is not available broadly in Africa, but we have people who can make things available that yes. can yes. save save lives and, and treat people. You know, that combined with your, your other just general community health work. So, you know, we have different kinds of diseases and ailments that are just generally, you know, we had COVID, but there are so many other things that in Africa we're dealing with that are more, I guess, more of an issue so to speak, you know, like obviously it's a pandemic, but in my mind, there's been a, a pandemic in Africa for, for decades, just in general health. You know, when you have to go and pay for a hospital bed before you can, and when you have to have children yeah. on in the lobby because there's no beds, those are issues yeah. that are, have been 
in the system well before we had the concept of a pandemic. So there are things that we have to do and can do, similar to basically the things that you're doing, that just now need an audience. And so the, the thought that we want to put all of this money into, oh, this mm-hmm. pandemic, when we have these broader challenges, I just want to highlight that in the thoughts of many who, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm here in the West and every day it's pandemic, 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 get your booster now, three shots now. And and we know being in Africa, I spent I spent most of the pandemic in, in Ghana, you know, as soon as lockdown was there, I was there. So I spent, you know, that time there. And so just seeing how we can when we have the resources and when we allow ourselves to, to create our own solutions, because quite honestly, I feel like the vaccine is a very Western solution. It will it will work. But Africans have to start to really create their own solutions. And so I'm, I've just gone on a little bit of a ramp, but, but just to kind of circle that back to, to get your comments and your feedback on how best do we change the public health dialogues to really fortify the public-private partnerships that will facilitate you being able to scale in your country and in neighboring countries? Yes, thank you very much. That's a very important question you've asked. I believe that Africa, like you said, can solve its problems with African solutions. Africa has a lot of resources. I mean, a lot of the world's resources are, are, are buried in the belly of Africa. That's the truth. But if Africa cannot get the best of those resources, the little that we have, what can we do with it? I believe so much that one advantage that Africa has is that Africa has been ravaged by many of these parasitic infections and even other minor viral mm-hmm. infections and even, even the coronavirus itself. The original coronavirus was a very negligible, harmless, uh, aerosolized uh, virus that has over time mutated and become uh, the, the monster it is today. So in Africa, we, we can overcome it we can solve this problem with, with African uh, solutions. Number one, mm-hmm. I believe very much in repurposing what we have. We can repurpose what we have. You see that the, the art of recycling is, mm-hmm. is very popular in Africa. You see a kid playing with a, a, a tire and a, a wheel that is made from wood, carved from wood and some old rubber or something, and that, that kid is wheeling it around and playing with that toy. It's an improvised, not so beautiful looking toy, but it gives that child childhood pleasure. You know, so we can do what we can with what we have. So the, in terms of repurposing what we have, I believe very much in it. And uh, what our group is doing is trying to show that we are getting mm-hmm. results. We are working very quietly and um, we, although we are officially working with uh, one, the two state governments, we, there are several other states in Nigeria that are quietly using this position, but they have not come up to us. One state, I don't want to mention their name, came up to us and said, we are using your protocol, but we, we are not ready to put data together for you, so we just wanted to know. So, well, that's how things turn out in life. So I believe that those protocols can be used Funny enough, we came across a physician in Ghana with a pulmonologist. That was last year at a webinar organized by the um, um, the Caribbean movement in the U.S. Uh, organized this webinar. And this Ghanaian physician pulmonologist spoke. And he also told me they were using the 4-aminoquinoline in his hospital. 
So we may need to come together, all those using for aminoquinolines, and, and put the data right. together and make, make an impact with that. Apart from that, with, with the advent of COVID, a lot of pe uh, people have missed their regular vaccines, including babies. There are a lot of missed vaccinations. In fact, one of the, we had to close down during the lockdown. We had to shut down our health post. And the government had to call us that we needed to reopen. Yeah. We have now seen new mm -hmm. cases of measles, new cases of, you know, things that did not need to come up. And I, I was at the World Health Organization, the Afro-Region meeting last year when we celebrated the end of the, the wild polio virus. But today, the wild polio virus is back because many babies, were born who have not been taking their polio vaccines and so on. So a lot of other right. diseases have come up again uh, because of COVID, because of the, either because of the lockdown or because of lack of the uh, supplies and so on mm -hmm. during COVID. So there's quite a lot of work to be done. But one thing we did in our health post, which we can boldly pump our chest and say it has worked for us, is that we have been given um, antioxidant supplements to the children and to the adults. And so in our own area, we don't have um, any fulminant uh, diseases. The, the women and children have been doing quite well. Even those that have missed their vaccines, we have not had cases of polio and so on because we've been giving them antioxidants. So I believe very much that the antioxidant thing really works. And the LWI study protocol promotes the use of antioxidants and then promote the use of pre-exposure prophylaxis to those who are highly vulnerable and post-exposure prophylaxis to those who have been exposed. And then we now recommend outpatient treatment as well as the uh, inpatient treatment in different mm. things. That is what we have been doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is what mm -hmm. we have been doing. So I'm glad you agree. I'm, I'm glad we are trying to make headway and coming up with solutions. Yes, it's replicable across communities. So this speaks to my mindset hack. So what is your favorite or an innovative mindset hack? Now, this is one that you can imagine or one that you know of. I believe we can make the world a better place. And I believe we can, you, you can, your world can be um, as good as you want it to be, even if you don't have the infrastructure that you think you need. I, I believe very much so that you can make the world a better place even without having all the necessary structure. Yeah. And that's why I gave you the example of the little child wheeling around with an improvised wheel. If it's not the best, but it, 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 you can make the world a better place without necessarily... If, if people gave up and said, yes, we can't have the best, so we have nothing. No, you can still be as close to the best as we can. Right. It doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. It just requires effort. Wonderful. Thank you for that. It's true. <laughs> well, that's what we do every day. We, we make the best of what we have. So I, I want to get a little bit of a sense of who is BC when she's not volunteering and training volunteers and in the health space. So I'd like to ask if you, what, if you are a reader or you're a watcher or a listener and what kinds of things you might listen to or watch or read. <laughs> I'm, I'm very lazy when it comes to reading. It's so terrible. Uh -huh. But you won't believe it. When it comes to medical literature or anything health-related, I read and read and read. But anything that is not medical literature, I'm the laziest person. I wouldn't read. But I love to watch. I love to watch videos. I love stories. I, I love um, 
that is like vintage stories. What do you call them? Things like Gone, in, gone with uh-huh. Wind. What do you call them? Okay. There's a name they call them, bestsellers or something. Oh, yeah, classic, American classic. I love those um, two, three-part series. Uh, <laughs> I love those ones. But I don't, li- I don't like the ones that are too lengthy, those ones that are too now. Okay, uh, okay. So in one your favorite so that's too much suspense for me. But if it's just a lengthy movie in two to three parts, I'm patient enough to watch that and I okay, love it. Okay. It's a, it's, it's one, you know, people will tell you I'm watching my soap, my favorite soap. I don't have the patience for that. Is that too much suspense? Sure. <laughs> so I, I love movies, but yes, but movies mm. that are short enough and long enough, but not the series, not the lengthy ones. And then I, I love uh, family. I love family. I love children. I've always loved children right from when I was a child. And mm-hmm. that has never changed. Mm-hmm. I love children. I love their banter. I love their noise. I love the, the ding that comes from children. People hate it, but I love it. You know, I love children around me. The more the noise they make, the more happy I am. Most people cannot stand children's noises, but I love that. And um, I love family. You know, I believe so much in family. And I love peace. I like I like a lot of peace around me. I don't like it when I see people quarreling. I don't mm-hmm. mind going out of my way to put an end to the quarrel. I may not wade in when the quarrel is on, but I'll find a way to reach each of the parties and then try and make peace. I, I love peacefulness around me. And I believe that this world can be a much better place if everybody was really peaceful and friendly and, and considerate of the other. So I love to be that. And then as a person, I'm a family woman. I, I love family. And uh, so I have children and I'm, a, I'm, all, I'm also a grandmother. Already. Okay. Okay. Very nice. Very thank nice. you. Yeah. Well, BC, this has been so lovely. I thank you so much for taking time to tell us about your work, your <laughs> life, um, and just give insights into some of the challenges that social entrepreneurs face because it's it's very real and, and we're all trying to do very good work. So in as much as we can, where can we find you, BC? Where can we find out more about Live Well? Yes, thank you so much, Florence. It's, uh, I really feel highly privileged to have been invited for this and I thank you for all the questions you have asked about our work. Yes, Live Well Initiative, we are online at um, livewellng.org www.livewellng and for Nigeria G for God livewellng.org and then we are on Twitter but you know the government of Nigeria right. Twitter so because of that we have not tweeted we have not tweeted since the ban because we believe in being mm. compliant I learned some people are using VPN or something mm. to tweet but we like to keep to the law so we have not tweeted we used to tweet almost every day mm. then but at L underscore W underscore I at our Twitter handle. And then women in hepatitis Africa is at Weha underscore NG. Okay. Uh, okay. We also have at Weha underscore NG2. So those are our Twitter handles. We are on Facebook as Live Well Initiative. We are on LinkedIn as Live Well Initiative. We are also on uh, Instagram as Live Well, uh, um, sorry, underscore Live well underscore. Okay, wonderful. So we'll have all of that in the show notes. I missed the Twitter and um, okay. Instagram. Instagram is live well underscore initiative underscore. Okay, 
Okay. So those are where we can be found. Okay. Yes, and you can also find out on websites of institutions we work with. If you go to Harvard, C.H. Chan School of Public Health and type in Live Well Initiative, you will find us under the Open Field Practice Faculty, which is where we work with uh, their interns. If you go to World Hepatitis Alliance, you will find us there. Um, the International Alliance of Patient Organizations, IAPO. I am actually a board member of the IAPO, which is a member of the British Charities Trust. So um, you, you could find us there too. Um, so typing in Live Well Initiative into uh, Google, find us in many places. It's true. Well, those will all be in the show notes, everyone. So you will have access to them just with at the click of your fingers. And so any last words for our listeners, BC? Thank you. My last words for the listeners would be, if there's anything you can do to help the, your neighbor, the next, the person next door, please do it. You never can tell how far mm-hmm. it can go. Uh, that's the general one. And then for Live Well Initiative, I'll say, we are happy to welcome volunteers. We, we have not taken in new volunteers, like I said, for a while, but we are happy to welcome new volunteers and we will be happy to bring in people who would help to build up our infrastructure so that we can help to impact other lives. At Live Well, we usually don't ask for money because when it comes to money, people mm. start doubting, oh, mm-hmm. what are you up to? We just need someone who would give us a tipper load of sharp sand, another a few bags of cement and a few things to build up the infrastructure we need so that we can help to offer more services to more people so that we can um, add one or two rooms to what we have and build up what we have. We would be happy to have partners who can help us with that. We have another place in, in another blighted area that we are trying to build up, but we don't have the funding. So. We'll be happy to bring on partners that can work with us to give a better life, to give healthcare access to other people. We have the human capital, but we need more people. We'll be happy to welcome you on board and then we'll be happy to build up the infrastructure. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. All right, Global Citizens. Thanks for joining us for another episode. You can catch us each and every Tuesday with a new episode at www.globalcitizenspod.com com and wherever you get your podcasts. So until next time, bye for now. <laughs>